For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, some reaction to U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions' speech from Nogales. A local rally in the name of science is gaining momentum as Earth Day approaches. Artist Lex Jurassic shares what she sees in Tucson's desert surroundings. And Beth Surdit pays attention to one of the desert's most overlooked species. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. This week, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions used the border in Nogales as a backdrop for announcing a new immigration plan, one that he says will result in more immigration officers, more immigration judges, and more deportations. Nancy Montoya was at the news conference and brought back this report. Attorney General Jeff Sessions left no room for doubt. He had come to the Arizona-Mexico border to deliver a message. The lawlessness, the abdication of duty to enforce our laws, and the catch and release policies of the past are over. And by over, the attorney general means that he plans to increase prosecutions of those who cross the border illegally, no matter when, no matter how, no matter why. For those that continue to seek improper and illegal entry into this country, be forewarned. This is a new era. This is the Trump era. It did surprise me that Sessions said that because Sessions has said that through Congress his whole life. A major opponent of any immigration reform. Congressman Grijalva says Sessions has been trying to pass tougher immigration laws for decades. But as a former Alabama senator, Sessions was almost always outvoted. Grijalva says Sessions' views on immigration were considered too radical, even to conservatives. They threatened the very integrity of our nations in our hemisphere. You don't hear them saying anything about, let's make DACA, the Dreamers, law so that we can protect in perpetuity these kids. We don't hear them talking about uh, family unification, so we quit splitting families in this uh, state or in this country. We will secure this border and bring the full weight of both the immigration courts and the federal enforcement and prosecutors to combat this attack on our national security and our sovereignty. We hear just a drumbeat of more enforcement, more enforcement, 15,000 more ICE and Border Patrol agents, a wall across the whole Southwest, uh, more prosecution. And every time they get in a jam, they pivot back to that red meat. And that's what I saw Sessions doing when he was here. It is here on this sliver of land, on this border, where the first, we first take our stand. Build bridges, not walls. He needs to talk to me. He needs to talk to the regular people that live and work and move back and forth, back and forth across the border seamlessly. Gail McBride is from Bisbee. She joined the handful of protesters who learned that morning 
that Attorney General Sessions would be at the border. And I go across that border four or five times a week. There are neighbors, and I've never, ever had any sense of fear. We don't have any. It's all hype. It's made up. The Department of Homeland Security reports that under Donald Trump between January and February, there was a 40 percent decrease in apprehensions at the border, crediting the Trump administration get tough tactics. However, immigration experts say there was a steady decline all during the Obama administration that has more to do with better jobs and a better economy in Mexico than anything else. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Nancy Montoya. April 22nd is Earth Day, and this year a series of rallies and marches in the name of science will be occurring around the country. Gatherings are planned for Phoenix, Flagstaff, and Tucson. So I asked one of the local organizers, Maria Johnson, to tell us more. I know that the national movement is the March for Science. We had difficulty raising funds, and the cost from the city was extraordinarily high, and so we had actually been forced to cancel the march portion. The road barricades alone were extremely expensive, and so it was something that was just not realistic for us. I am really excited because private citizens of Tucson have been motivated to organize their own personal marches into El Presidio, which is where our outreach event will be occurring. And it will be consisted of speakers and music and food trucks and, most importantly, the outreach booths that will be there educating people with hands-on activities, so kid-friendly, and really giving the community a chance to get involved. And if you just want to get involved with an organization here in Tucson, we'll do our best to match you to one. We want to make sure that people can take advantage of what we have here as a community because Tucson is this beautiful community. And um, be involved, be active. Tell me about the guests of honor that you've um, asked to participate in this event. What sort of people do you have coming and from what backgrounds? So the mayor will be speaking at the event. Uh, Raul Grijalva will be speaking at the event. Well, we'll have a group of people from 500 Women in Science. We're trying to make it as diverse as possible. Um, we want everyone to feel represented and included. Science is not partisan. For politics to come in and do more than fund and give us the ability to reach out to people through science. It should not be taking information away. It should not be telling scientists that they can't publish their research. There's no room for that in this world. Joining Maria Johnson is Jeff Notkin, a meteorite specialist and spaceflight advocate who will be one of the Science Rally's guest speakers. The Earth Day rally is what I care about made manifest. And when I first heard that March for Science was going to happen in Washington, D.C., I immediately made a public commitment to go and to support it in any way that I could. And then I had a couple of friends in Tucson reach out to me privately and they said, hey, Jeff, there's going to be a science march Tucson. Maybe you should speak to the organizers. And, and I did. And I met Maria and Heather Lee and Josh. And what they're doing is fantastic. Here are three caring people that have come together to make an enormous, powerful, all-encompassing statement that involves the people of Southern Arizona. And instead of talking about how important science is, they're going to demonstrate it. And many of the people hearing you speak right now are going to say, this guy's not a Tucson native. (laughs) So how is it that Tucson became your home? Was it driven by science? It was. I fell in love with Tucson. I'm a U.S. citizen, but I 
grew up in the UK, and I started visiting Tucson in the 90s for our Marvelous Gem and Mineral shows because my area of specialization is meteorite science. And so I would come to the gem show and I'd, I'd meet meteorite academics and researchers and collectors and dealers. And over time, I just fell in love with our quirky little one-of-a-kind city, and I have lived here for over 13 years. I have always said that Tucson has a disproportionate amount in a good way of science and arts for a town of its size. So when I see our marvelous city coming together to show its support for this important global phenomenon, let's not forget this is not just a march across the states or a series of United States events. This is a global event on Earth Day. It's heartwarming to see so many people getting involved. Being as entrenched as you are in earth science, I would imagine that Earth Day has always carried a special significance to you. But what are some of the factors that make this year different? Let me answer that by reading just a tiny bit of this, the March for Science mission statement, which says, we're a nonpartisan group that calls for science that upholds the common good and for political leaders and policymakers to enact evidence-based policies in the public interest. And I support that and I applaud that and it's a wonderful message of cooperation. But in my heart, I feel this would not be happening if the current administration was not making a full-on assault on science and learning. And the, the enormous proposed cuts to science and science-related fields, particularly the Environmental Protection Agency and some of the health disciplines, are going to have really massive and far-reaching effects on us soon and in the long term if they go through. So this year, so many people around the world have come together to protest these proposed cuts in science and I find it particularly appropriate that that is happening on Earth Day, which has traditionally been a day when we get together to think about the beauty and the wonder of our home planet and to think about conserving our wildlife, helping our wildlife and the environment. But it's taken on a much greater significance this year. This is Earth Day on a, on a more powerful, more perhaps politically oriented bent than it's been in the past. And let me say again that I really applaud this nonpartisan thing. As Maria said, science is nonpartisan. Science is for everyone. Science goes on around us all the time. And all of your listeners, everyone listening to this show now, are listening on a device that is the product of scientific research and experimentation. Everything that we use in our lives is the product of scientific experimentation and research in, in some form. And it's extraordinary to see other people in other countries showing their support. It may not even really be their battle in a specific sense, because while you could argue, well, cuts in scientific funding and research in the States wouldn't affect other countries, but they actually will over time. And when world leaders make irresponsible comments along the lines of climate change is, is a hoax perpetrated by another country, that does a disservice to us and to the whole world, because many people will believe that because it comes out of the mouth of a president. And that is the kind of thing we need to combat, an irresponsible denial of fact. My guests were UA Natural Resources and Wildlife Conservation student Maria Johnson and meteorite specialist, author, and all-around rock star Jeff Notkin. 
Jeff Notkin's latest project is Meteorite Minute videos on YouTube. The Tucson Rally for Science, showing support for STEM programs and funding, happens Saturday, April 22nd at El Presidio Park from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Artist Lex Jurassic has always found inspiration in the landscapes around her. A transplant from Seattle to Tucson, Jurassic talks to Vanessa Barchfield about how the colors and textures of the Sonoran Desert have taken root and blossomed in her work. Google the name Lex Jurassic. That's G-J-U-R-A-S-I-C. Not Jurassic-like like the Mesozoic era when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Although the artist is encrusting seed beads on a skeleton the day I meet her. It's a spinal column of a, um, probably a calf or cow that I found in the desert. Anyway, if you Google Lex Jurassic, here's a sample of what you'll find. She was named Little Miss Washington in 1984. About 10 years later, she started a zine about the feminist punk scene in her hometown and described herself in an interview with the Seattle Times as a feminazi. She was 15 at the time and had braces. You'll also see pictures of her art, paintings of neon pink cacti and glittery cow skulls. This is definitely what happens when you take someone from the gray Northwest and have them see the Sonoran Desert for the first time. It's like the most far out thing ever. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. We're in her home, standing in front of her paintings and six foot tall sculptures made of styrofoam that look like a mix between totem poles and giant colored marshmallows. They're kind of like saguaros on acid. When it comes to my work, um, I would say that it's bright. <laughs> Um, so, but you, you do use a lot of colors. Yeah, what's your point? <laughs> yeah, and? And? Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes I don't. That's before I start. <laughs> do you have any favorite colors or palettes? Oh, like I work? like pink. 110%. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> no, I like pinks and mints and um, neons and deep deep navies. I like the contrast of um, hard and soft, and I think that's really typical of the desert. You know, you'll get that like foamy pastel of a sunset against the, like the sharpness of a shadow. It's just like, oh, it's so yummy. I um, was raised by an artist and I wasn't given any boundaries when it came to uh, what I could do or how I could use uh, materials. I was also ill as a child with asthma that was extremely bad in the Northwest. So I was sick often. So I had to lay down and, you know, rest. So for me, drawing was an escape. Um, I found a, a respite in making art. And did you always think that you wanted to be an artist? I just was. There was no like, what am I going to be when I grow up? I mean, I, f I fooled around with other ideas of work 
that actually um, create income. But then because my work is so driven by obsession and being like a compulsive nature, it's not, I can't really do anything else. (laughs) In college, she took a test that was supposed to match her with her perfect job. And um, it said um, artist. And then number two was groundskeeper gardener. (laughs) And I really, I mean, they're both the same kind of work. Lex makes this comparison a lot. She describes how... In her studio, she jumps from one piece to the next, putting some brush strokes on a painting. Like you pull weeds. Then moving to a sculpture to apply some quartz. And then you're like, oh, now, now I need to water. And beads. You're like, oh, but that tree. And then back to the painting. I mean, it's kind of the same way of growing an idea. It kind of makes sense then that so much of Lex's art features what's growing out of the earth around her. I always draw inspiration from where I've lived. But for me, the desert has a special resonance. There is a certain quietude and solitude in the desert that feeds my soul in a way that I can't get anywhere else. I mean, when you hear that, just that little bit of wind and a little bit of a sound of a quail and a, a hum, I feel, I feel like Suaro's hum a bit. When I'm out there and I feel that, like, I come back just fully rejuvenated and um, just kind of grounded again. Do you have any, um, like, memories of over the past three years when you've been here, when you've been, like, confronted with something that's been like, whoa, that is totally different here than... Okay, I got some things for you. Um, I'm I'm a local news aficionado. So anytime a crime is committed, such as a bank robbery, they're always wearing a U of A shirt. (laughs) right so I'm always like if I'm gonna rob a bank I'm gonna get me a wildcat shirt and so uh that and also um a real uh Tucson thing are like how polar pop cups are everywhere everyone has one and uh when they're done they like to toss them right into a cactus so whenever I see like a cactus like I'm like oh you know what cactus love they love nothing more than a polar pop cup just stuck right in. I don't know if it's because it gets a little windy. I'm going to give them the benefit. But when I see someone walking with one, I'm like, that's going to end up in a cactus <gasps> level. Oh, no. Like, but if you want to go incognito, just put on your U of A gear and no one will, like, notice you. You just blend in. <laughs> you just blend in. It's like camouflage. <laughs> just grab a polar pop cup and just walk down the street. You're nobody. <laughs> Yet everyone. <laughs> Anyone that knows Tucson knows that it's an extremely um, unique and special place that gets so hot it burns off. <laughs> it burns its, you know, anything that doesn't belong here off once a year. It's, so it collects and then it purifies itself. I really love how in summer here, you know, the college students leave, snowbirds are gone, gem show ain't popping and you can go park anywhere (laughs) and you look around and you see the other people who are it's like a knowing nod you're like yes you're here for real you know I love how it becomes nighttime when it gets dark and everyone comes out like bats and it's hot it's really hot out and that's the northwesterner in me that's like let's do this (laughs) Like, it never got hot enough in Seattle. I never had my, like, thirst for summer quenched. 
Here in Tucson, she says that thirst for heat and, of course, for inspiration to fill her canvases with cacti that look like they're from a different planet, they've both been quenched. Like a polar pop cup. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Vanessa Barchfield. Lex Jurassic's exhibition called Stamp Out Reality is on display at the Tiny Town Gallery on 4th Avenue through the end of the month. There's more information and samples of Jurassic's work on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Author and wildlife illustrator Beth Surdit listens to ravens and is paddled with alligators in wild and scenic places. Next, she'll uncover a few of the secrets kept by her frisky and nimble neighbors. Not far from my mailbox, a coyote was avidly digging for treasure. Pushing rocks aside with its paws and snout, coyote hesitated when he saw me, circled, walked away. Desire won, and the animal returned to digging. I knew what was underground, near the prickly pear cactus, though I hadn't seen any round-tailed ground squirrels yet this season. They hibernate for the winter and were just waking up. Coyote could smell them and was tunneling into their sleepy time burrows for a yummy snack. Scent is a primary element to negotiating the animal world. We humans miss out with our noses so high off the ground, our sanitation, our aggressive campaign to deodorize the world. What was so alluring that Coyote continued to dig even as I stood watching? When male squirrels wake up earlier than the females, they defecate and urinate. Females who have dug their own burrows go into estrus the time they are ready to breed, sending out pheromones. Mmm, mmm, smells good to Coyote. But as fast as Coyote dug, so deep his head disappeared from my sight, he came up empty, finally gave up, and trotted away towards my neighbors and their roaming cats, who have miraculously avoided the flying, running, slithering predators in our hood. The next day, I saw one rather dazed-looking squirrel above ground near the crater the coyote had left. Usually... These little squirrels will quickly run and dive into the nearest hole. It could be one of their own, or one made by a lizard, or a snake. Oops. Then they peek out to see if I'm still there. Not this one, who wandered around like a drunk way over the limit. If there was a female round-tailed ground squirrel in that burrow... Coyote is not the prince our sleeping beauty waits for as she wakes up. The digger is supposed to be an eager male squirrel freeing her so they can mate on the one day she's at peak fertility. Yes, one day, all year. Think that coyote's eager. Imagine the male squirrel who has gone to ground before the female and is waking up looking for his one shot at the primal dance. I mean, 
procreation, not nurturing fatherhood. These squirrels, who look like miniature prairie dogs, are not social creatures despite the appearance of communal living. Males will go into hibernation later in the summer, before the females, who will be raising litters of eight to ten offspring. The kids play, but once the young are old enough, they leave. And if you see roundtails in the fall, it's most likely youngsters. What these squirrels will do is make warning calls to each other when there's danger. They'll gang up on a snake to divert it. Their diet is primarily vegetation, cactus, mesquite pods, seeds, and insects. But I had witnessed a round-tailed squirrel eating roadkill of its own kind, which did lower the cuteness quotient. I had questions, and I love talking to people who devote much of their time to particular species. So, I put out a call to the National Phenology Network, asking for a squirrel expert. That led me to John Kaprowski, professor and associate director of the School of Natural Resources and the Environment at the University of Arizona. He studies squirrels around the world. Turns out, these common squirrels have yet to be focused on as much as the other two Arizona species, antelope squirrels and rock squirrels. Even though Professor Kaprowski described round-tailed ground squirrels as the neighbor we know so little about, he knows a lot. When I asked about cannibalism, he said they do not pass up a protein opportunity. We don't know if round-tailed ground squirrels kill each other. Some other kinds of male squirrels will kill the young. But they do cannibalize their dead. Round-tailed ground squirrels are themselves a source of a large amount of food to raptors, mammals, and snakes. Squirrels also move soil and disperse seeds. When you add up these benefits, the pest moniker doesn't really apply. That doesn't mean I want them in the house. Last year, in the spring, I found a baby round-tailed ground squirrel lying on its side on my kitchen floor. It looked stiff, eyes closed, unmoving. I thought it was dead, but when I picked it up in a paper towel, the squirrel was breathing. No marks, no blood, so I took it outside and sat with it in my lap, just watching. It flailed, and I realized that one leg was broken at the hip. Poor little leg just flopped. The squirrel squinted, reached up, and touched my finger, barely grazing his claws on my skin. Then it collapsed. No hope for this precious one. You know that feeling when you sense someone's watching you? The next day, I looked down from my work table to see another baby squirrel looking up at me. The screen doors were closed, but there's a small gap between the wood door jam and the metal doors. It's barely as wide as my little finger, but these acrobatic creatures are not only flexible, they can also stretch their skins. Perhaps this root is how the first one broke its hip, but the one sitting on her haunches was perfect. She stared at me with eyes black and shiny as obsidian, her ears like cropped rosettes. Her fur was the muted color of desert earth and clouds. 
Before we started the chase that could only end with the cat or my setting out fruit and nuts in a humane trap, I dropped a container upside down over her, slid a piece of stiff paper under her, and took her outside. Baby scampered away. Cutest cannibal ever. Beginning Saturday, April 15th, an exhibition of Beth Surdit's drawings and stories for the Art of Paying Attention series will be on view at the Ranch House Gallery at Agua Caliente Park. There will also be an artist reception Sunday, April 30th from 11 a.m. to noon. In cooperation with the National Phonology Network, Beth Surdit is hosting two Paying Attention morning workshops at Agua Caliente Park on Sunday, April 23rd and Wednesday, May 10th. Advanced registration is required. You can find the link by looking for Beth's ground squirrel drawing on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.